My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. It is so good to welcome you back at church. It has been seven months since COVID shut everything down in Oregon. And to know that all of you are back in church is amazing. We are packing this place called the church. And it is so good to know that everybody is together again. To which you're wondering, what is this guy smoking, right? Well, here's the deal. Nothing except the scripture. Because the Bible says we are the church, not a building. You may not be in the building. You may be home and you could even be in pajamas right now, uh, having your cereal, watching this online. You could be here in the building. But the fact is, is that we are the church. Now, I know when we think of church, we think of a building. That's what we think of. Uh, In fact, I got a couple ideas for you about what we think of when we think of a church building. If you go back uh, 500 years, 1,000 years, this is what a church building would look like. Very medieval, very, uh, very gothic looking, incredibly beautiful if you've ever been to Europe to see these. And if you see it from an overhead aerial perspective, most of those churches were built in the shape of a cross with the altar in the middle unbelievable beauty as people would pack those in. Now we think how cold and lifeless, right? Well, if we move into Americana, we think of a church like this, uh, like a one-room schoolhouse, a little house on the prairie kind of place, a little church with a picket fence and a steeple with a cross at the top. And that very much is an American viewpoint of church a number of years ago. Today, what does a church building look like? It looks like a mall. It looks like a building. It looks like a warehouse. In fact, I looked at that and I showed that to my wife and we both were stunned. That entrance looks just like the entrance of Sunrise Church. Isn't that crazy? That's what churches look like today. But here's the deal, folks. Wherever you go, there you are. That's your little theological moment right there. Uh, because you are the body of Christ. You are the church. And whether you come and gather together, which is the whole point of the assembly of God coming together, you are an effective member of God's building. Now, back in the ancient days, they used to have temples. Uh, here's a shot I took of a temple uh, up in the, uh, the area uh, in Turkey and, and where, where they just have this amazing, amazing view of buildings. It's just unbelievable. Uh, back in the day, 
Back in the day, folks, when you worshiped a God, you built a temple to that God, you, you hired priests or priestesses, you had specific spiritual rituals, including sacrifices, and you would make that God known to your entire community by the presence of your temple and the worship. And it would spread through all life, a play, work, education. Everything was about the worship of your God. But when Jesus came around with his disciples and this idea of the church moved into the Greek and Roman world, it was very different. Because in the midst of a bunch of gods and goddesses and temples, there was a confusing message. Followers of Jesus, where is your temple? Where is your place of worship? You don't have a building. You don't have those sacrifices. You don't have any of that represented. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when questioned about his message in Athens, the place where all of the temples, all of the worship was, all the priests and sacrifices and altars, it was amazing. He walked up on top of that beautiful Acropolis and he stood there and saw it all. He came down and he said, our God does not dwell in buildings made with human hands. We have an eternal God that cannot be contained in a building, a physical building. But you know what the Bible does tell us? God is contained in the spiritual building of his church in what you and I are about. Now, temples were everywhere in the ancient church. On this tour of Turkey and Greece that I was able to be a part of a year and a half ago, I took some of these photos. These are massive buildings. Take a look at this. It's an amazing structure. Can you imagine wandering through there when there was a roof upon it, when there was an idol in there, when they were just one of many of them? This one right here, this next one shows you how small human beings are when it compares to that, right? This one, this uh, next shot is in a little place called Didyma. This is the Temple of Apollo. And I wanted to show it to you because one of the pillars had fallen down and they had put them back together. And this is how large the pillar is. A little geek note for you. The diameter of that pillar multiplied by 10 was the height of it. So that, that would have been around 50 uh, feet high or so. I mean, imagine the beauty of that. Imagine the amazing nature of that. Now, I had the privilege along with Pastor Kevin to walk through all these temples of Zeus and Artemis and Athena and all these places. It was unbelievable to see all that was going off. I mean, there's no way you could not be impressed by temples. Now, imagine how impressed you would be when you walked in. This is a shot uh, that um, my wife and I got to experience down in Luxor, Egypt. This is the Temple of Karnak down there in Upper Egypt. And these columns are 80 feet tall. And there was a roof on this and it was all painted. And you could see tiny little people in there. It is amazing to think what a person can do with some stone and what they can carve out of human hands. But what's more amazing to think about is what God does when he takes our heart and he removes the stone and he puts a beating heart of flesh in it. And then he dwells inside of it, and we become the actual living, breathing presence of God in the community. Now, with this in mind, we've been journeying through the book of First Peter, and it's been a fun journey. We're in chapter 2 now, and we start in verse 5. We're going to see a little bit about the idea of being a temple for God and who the actual first stone actually is. So if you have a Bible, you could open it up or you can look on the screen. Starting in verse 4 there, he says, You, speaking of the church, you and me, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. 
Now, you, again, you might not think of temples. You might not think of that as like a normal day-to-day. But back in the day, when you said the word temple, everybody thought about the worship of their god or goddess. Uh, maybe it was a national god or a local god or a god based upon your guild or your workplace or your education. But everybody got the idea of a temple. And everybody got the idea of a cornerstone. He says he was rejected by people, speaking of Jesus, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Now, what is a cornerstone? A cornerstone is the first stone you lay down on the corner. It's not that complicated, right? You didn't even have to look that up in the dictionary. Uh, Here's a shot of that temple of Apollo in Didyma. And this is not the angle where you see the cornerstones on the other end, but just because of the nature of the photo, I wanted to take it this direction with that lone pillar standing there. They would have lined all the way up. But that cornerstone right there at the bottom, the one on the other end, but just imagine that. Here's what they would do. They would work the ground. They would level it out. They would measure it out. They would put everything ready, all the stones there. And then they would, with much fanfare, with much ceremony, they would lay the first stone down. And that stone would be the line marking out the direction of the rest of the stones. That stone would be the very first stone. They would pile stone upon stone. And so the cornerstone was the most important stone that started the whole process. Now with that in mind, the Bible says Jesus is our cornerstone and we are the living temple of God. In verses five and six, Peter says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Now, I I know it's such a far concept for us because we don't have those things in America. We don't have those kinds of temples and those kinds of stones. We don't have a lot of marble, maybe in our buildings of state. But the fact is, is that we don't exist that way. We, We build things with sticks, with two by fours and whatever, concrete blocks. But imagine everywhere you would go, everybody would get the picture. And when Peter wrote to a people that knew the Greek and knew the Roman culture, he used this beautiful metaphor that we are the living stones that God is laying down brick by brick, block by block, stone by stone to build something, to bring glory and honor to his name. He goes on to say this, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Because of what Jesus has already done on the cross, by the way we live our lives and worship Jesus Christ, there are sacrifices that are evident. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. So when Peter said this, when Peter said there is a temple that God is building because of Jesus Christ, who was the very first stone laid down, the cornerstone, and you are being built brick upon brick, stone upon stone on that, and you are a living, breathing part of the memory of Jesus on the earth. Everybody would have gotten it. Every Jew would have gotten it. Why? Because there was a temple in Jerusalem where the sacrifices had been going on. Every Greek or Roman would have gotten it. Why? Because there were just a pantheon of gods and everybody worshiped a God and they went to the temple and they participated in the sacrifices and they went to their priest or priestess and they offered those things to their God or goddess and everybody would have gotten the metaphor. And what Peter is saying here is a beautiful, beautiful picture is that although Jesus is no longer on the earth, although we worship a God that can't live in a temple made by hands, a God whose spirit, who cannot be seen unless he's revealed himself, he has revealed himself in you and me. And that wherever we go, we're that presence of God on the earth. 
We are the display of God's beauty, of God's grandeur, of his greatness, his goodness, his grace and mercy in the world. That when people look at us, they should be in awe of the building that God is putting together, the temple. So how did God say people would recognize God? By you and me. There's a great little book I was reading called The Creative Minority, and and there's a quote in here I want to read you. It says, the most eloquent testimony to the reality of the resurrection is not an empty tomb or a well-orchestrated pageant on Easter Sunday, but rather a group of people whose life together is so radically different, so completely changed from the way the world builds a community that there can be no explanation other than that something decisive has happened in history. Yes, the resurrection is important. Yes, the worship of Jesus on Easter is important. But what people need to see today is Jesus alive in us, Jesus working in us. And then when they see that, then they understand Jesus crucified for us and for them. Peter goes on to say this. He says, you know, this beautiful thing about a stone, which is an echo of a really cool Old Testament idea. I want to take you back to the prophet Isaiah. Peter quotes Isaiah and Hosea in this, but this is a beautiful text in Isaiah uh, 51. He says, listen to me, listen to me, all who hope for deliverance, all who seek the Lord. Consider, check this out, consider the rock from which you were cut, the quarry from which you were mined. What a beautiful picture that God went out there and grabbed some stone and cut it out, carved it out of the quarry and built into a living memorial for himself. On this trip a year and a half ago to Turkey and Greece, uh, the bus stopped and our, and our leader, Carl, said, okay, let's go on out. We walked out, walked about a quarter of a mile and all of a sudden we turned around and we saw this picture right here. This was of a 2,000 plus year old quarry that was carved out of the mountain where all of this beautiful, precious stone had been carved out to build monuments of greatness and glory to man's gods. These beautiful columns were just left there. I don't know, maybe they made an overrun of the order or there was a change order at the temple. I don't know, but they just left them there. They've been lying there for over 2,000 years. We have been carved out. We have been cut out by God's very hand, hand selected and fashioned and formed into an image that would bring him glory and honor to build a temple that brings him praise. In fact, I got this next shot just for the way of spacing and so you could understand the size. This is a guy, Keith, that was on our tour, a great guy. And I said, stand there so everybody could see how big this is. Imagine the weight of that stone. And it was carved out and carted over, over many, many miles to build a monument to a false God's glory and honor. You and me, friends, we are a monument to Jesus Christ and to his glory. The reality is this, is that when God has done something great in us, when God has done something beautiful in us, it's far better than just an ugly piece of stone, right? I mean, think about this. Nothing is more lifeless than stone. <laughs> it's nothing. I mean, but in the right hand, in the right circumstances, it's beautiful. It's lasting. Some of the buildings that I took a look at were 2,500 years old. If you've been to the the pyramids, 4,000 years old. It's unbelievable what can happen when you build something that lasts that long. And what Peter is alluding to is that he's building something that's going to last for eternity. And that is you and me and his family. And all fitted together, these stones, every stone comes together as a living monument to Jesus Christ. So Peter portrays the church as a living spiritual house with Christ as the very cornerstone of the foundation 
And every believer, you and me, is a valuable part of that building. In American individualistic culture and society, it's easy to forget that we need other people. In the church, in the American church, it's easy to forget that we need one another. If I, if I could just be honest, if, um, if you're not afraid of COVID, if you've decided to stick back and not come to church because uh, you've developed a new routine for yourself on Sunday mornings, um, I think you need to be here. I think you need to show up because you, you as a, just a stone out there on their own, you're not seen as a living memorial for God. But when we come together and we're fitted together, God does an amazing thing. But in our individualistic society, we think, you know, we can follow Jesus and not go to church. We don't need to be a part of a community of faith. We can do whatever we want and God's going to be honored because we don't want to be a part of everything else, right? It's too restrictive. But when you put that stone in there, when God puts that stone in there, and when he lines it right up with the cornerstone of Jesus, there is a weight There is a a burden that one another carries. We together are being built up into a temple. And that temple is not complete until we are all together in Christ. Every brick in a wall depends upon the other ones. You don't just take one out because they need one another. I've been a pastor for over 30 years, and in my years of ministry, I still marvel at people that come to church and they sing songs and they participate in ministry and they, they hear a message and they go home. And that's about all they think of when they think of church. But that's not what Jesus thinks about when he thinks of church. See, Jesus so loved us, he died on the cross for us to build us into his church, a living monument and memorial to his greatness and his goodness in the world today so that everybody who would see us would see him. And we can't do that alone. We can't do that with just, I'm going to take it for me mentality. But when I come and when I give myself to the one another's of the community of Christ, that's when we become a physical representation of God on earth. To truly be fitted together means we need to support one another and to be supported by one another. Only when the entire group comes together does the building fit. Now, he goes on to say this. Peter says, yes, You who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, it's going to turn a little bit. For those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is Old Testament prophecy. People rejected Christ. He says the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And it says he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Now, Peter's quoting from Isaiah. And what he's basically saying in here is that there was a moment in in the ministry of Christ, in the life of Christ, that the builders looked at the stone and did not see any value in the stone, did not see any beauty in the stone, did not see any worth in the stone. And the stone that God was laying down was rejected by them. And not only was it rejected by them, that now because they rejected it, they are going to stumble over that stone. It is going to cause them to fall down. And that happened. But my friends, it still happens. The stone, the living stone, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, some people still reject it. And some people still stumble over it. At Sunrise, I've said this for years, that we don't want to put any stumbling block in people's way, except the stumbling block of Jesus, because that you can't just walk around. You've got to come and cross the line of faith and receive the cornerstone. The word stumble can mean to trip or to fall 
or to take offense or to reject. And that is what they did. But it was God's plan to lift up Christ as the perfect cornerstone. And that is what we do today. We reject, we push aside, we try to go around, but we fall. We're offended. We can't believe that anybody would say that they are alone, the way, the truth, and the life. And yes, my friends, the message of Jesus is offensive to those who are rejecting it. It's foolishness to those who are pushing it aside. But to those that are being saved, it is this beautiful message of God to us. It is the wisdom of God. People stumble over Jesus because they reject him and refuse to believe that he is the cornerstone. I think, I'm just going to say this, if you've put aside or pushed aside or buried the idea of a true relationship with God, the Bible says that's foolish. If you've been offended by the message that you cannot build your relationship with God on your own effort or energy, you cannot add a brick upon brick to build your own way of sacrifice to God, Jesus has already done it all on the cross, my friends. He came, he lived, he did beautiful things, but then he died and he buried and he, was ro- he rose again. And when he rose again, he demonstrated everything he had said was true. And on the cross, he paid for all of our debt. And for those who are trying to build a building of their own, that is an offensive message. But for those who realize they could never get it on their own, that's a beautiful message. Martin Luther had this to say about the day he came to Christ When I discovered that it's not the righteousness I give God that matters, this is good, but a righteousness God gives me that he transfers to me because his son on the tree, which is the cross, and in his life has created a record of righteousness. When I receive it by faith, I am saved. He says, the minute I understood that, I felt like I was ushered into open gates in paradise. That was the moment when he said, I believe I receive Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, that's what it takes is to believe in Jesus Christ and to receive him as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says you become a child of God in that moment. When you're born, you're not born a follower of God. You're not born a good person. You're just born. And when you grow up, when you you live, you live out your own desires, your own fleshly desires, your own sinful desires. You can even come to church. You can clean your life up. You can do all the right things. But only when you're born again, as we saw a couple weeks ago, when you're born from above a spiritual rebirth, that's when life, real life takes over, the life of Jesus in you. And you cross from death to life. Otherwise, you're going to stumble over that stone of Jesus Christ. Just wrap it up with some of Peter's words here, and we'll conclude. Peter says, but you are not like that. You're not one that rejects Jesus, but you're not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Just stay on that for a minute. He called you out of darkness. So the Bible says that apart from Christ, we live in spiritual darkness. In fact, the Bible says we're spiritually blind. There's a story in John 9 where Jesus is healing a man who was born blind. And all his, his only story, all he, all he knows over and over and again, he's, just, he's asked over and over again. He goes, all I know is I was blind and now I see. The Bible says we walk in darkness on this world. 
apart from Christ. But when we receive the light of Christ, we can finally see. In fact, the book of Ephesians says that we are not just walking in darkness. We are literally dead in our lives. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins. That we try to live out this world. We try to create a life for us, but that we are walking in darkness. And yet we can walk out of darkness into the wonderful light of Jesus Christ. Peter concludes in verse 10 by saying, once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Man, I hope those words are true for you. I hope that whatever it is, maybe you're a part of Sunrise, maybe you've been a part of Sunrise for years, maybe you've just been checking us out online, maybe, maybe you're far away from us, maybe you need to come and journey with us. The fact is, is that when you've taken a step out of darkness into light, everything changes. This is not some self-improvement program. This is not some, like, get better a little bit. They're like, you know, do a few things here and there, and things will get increasingly better. This is walking out of darkness into light. This is walking from a life of death into brand new spiritual life with God. This is walking with the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, or you're going to stumble over him. Well, when Christianity came around, it was the very first religion in all of the history of the world that said you don't need a temple. You don't need an altar. You don't need priests and priestesses. You don't need sacrifices. And that's all been done for you. Every culture, every religion, they, even today, they get the fact that there's a gap between themselves and God. And then they try to figure out how to cross that gap, how to build something beyond that gap. And if you're going to journey across that gap, you need a temple, right? You need a place you can say that's your God. You need sacrifices. You need rhythms and routines where you can walk away and feel good that you've done something for your God or goddess. But Christianity came along and said none of that was real anyway. It was all false worship. It doesn't fit the mold or experience of what we want to do when we try to build a life for ourselves. Every other religion, every other faith, every other philosophy says if you want to experience something spiritual, to get to know God, Whoever that God may be for you, you have to pick up a trowel and you have to pick up a brick and you have to start building something. And when you stand back, you can look at that and you can be impressed by what you've built and then you can enter into that and worship your God. Could be with just the possessions of the earth that you're building brick by brick. It could be with the desires of your life, your dreams, your hopes. But Jesus comes along and says, those are all false. That's all empty worship. I will take you and I will build in you and with you a beautiful temple for God and I will display my greatness in you and through you. Peter says that you can't do it on your own. Only God can do it and it begins when he builds his temple in your life. As Pastor Taylor said earlier, we're gonna receive communion and so what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you to grab those elements right now you know, and, and I, I know it might be a little awkward. Some of you are here in the building. We're going to do it together. Uh, and you receive this on the way in. Others, you're at home and you have some elements. Make, make, just take a moment to get those. I want to go ahead in advance and read some words that will help prepare your time for this, prepare your heart. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26, the Apostle Paul said it this way. For I passed on to you what I received from the Lord Jesus himself. On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. 
do this to remember me. In the same way, he took a cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his temple, his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And he said, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, I want to receive this with you. And I want us to honor Christ and what he's done for us. I want us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And I want us to announce his death until one day he comes again. So would you take your bread and as we eat it together, would you remember that this is his body that went to a cross and died for you. Let's receive that together. And as you take your cup, for me it's a little cup of juice, would you remember as you hold it that this represents the blood of our Savior that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, for your sins and my sins. And when we receive it, we're remembering his sacrificial death for us, that we couldn't do it on our own, but he did it all for us on the cross. Let's receive this together. Pray with me. God, I know that I marvel every time I receive the bread and the cup, wondering how I could be worthy because I know myself. In the dark recesses of my mind and my heart, I know myself. I know my failures. I know my faults. I know how much I've, even to this day, failed to live up to the call of Christ. And yet I hold on even stronger to this, that none of that matters. Because what matters is what Jesus has already done for me. He's died for me. And so, Father, I pray all of us who are hearing this and have received this Lord's table together would be reminded of the fact that it's not our performance. It's not our good behavior. It's not picking up a brick and building it and being impressed by our performance. It's just coming into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ that really changes everything. And not just for us, but for the community called the church, the building, the, the temple that you are building up that would be something that shines for all to see. God, there are a lot of impressive structures in our world today, but may the only thing we be impressed by is Jesus. And may we declare his greatness and goodness, his glory for all to see. We pray in his name, amen.